another week of the Stack Report coming your way. A doozy of a guest this week. We're very fortunate to have a man who was named the All-Australian captain for 2017. That wasn't even the best thing that happened to him in the last 12 months. He was also a premiership winner for the Richmond Football Club, a star defender of the AFL, and a man who has been described as potentially the greatest defender of all time. It's huge praise. We're going to put that sort of praise to him and see how he feels about it. Alex Rance, a doozy, courtesy of our sponsors at MJ Bale. And if you're wearing bad suits in 2018, you need to go and have a look at yourself because you can go to MJ Bale, get two for a grand, not to mention all the other fantastic kit they have. Do yourself a favour, get to MJ Bale, get some decent kit. You're better than that. You don't deserve to be wearing bad suits in 2018. Also, if you like the Stack Report, do us a favour. Subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. If you can't get it on iTunes, check it out on Wooshka. And also, if you like the Stack Report, you'll probably like 24. It's a fantastic web, web site. Got it out there in the end. And an app too. Um, great stuff. Athletes posting on the weekly. Well worth checking out. Fantastic content on there. Hey, if I'm working for them, it must be all right. Okay, enough of the rambling. Let's get to Alex Rance on the Stack Report. Well, Alex Rance, it's a warm welcome to the Stack Report. Thanks for joining us at the um, MJ Bale headquarters in Melbourne. Very good of you. No, thank you for having me. It's a nice, uh, nice setup you got here. Yeah, it's really pretty schmick, actually, isn't it? I like the leather chairs. Feels comfortable. But um, I tell you, you must have had a fair last few months. Have the celebrations even stopped since the 2017 Premiership? Physically, I think they have, but <laughs> mentally, in my mind, I'm still fist pumping. Um, yeah, it was such a crazy um, couple of months, really. Like the fi- the finals leading up, and even the few games of the, the home and away, the last few. And then, yeah, we had probably two weeks after the grand final, which was just absolute bliss. And uh, then we went on holidays and got back to spending a bit more time with our families because obviously, football takes a lot away from mm. that. So yeah, the last few months have been. Very nice, very nice. Is, I've always been of the opinion, even though I'm not a Richmond fan, that it's the best song in the comp. But <laughs> yellow, black, yellow and black, are you borderline? We borderline sick of it by the uh, end of the celebration sort of period. I don't think I could ever get sick of it. Yeah, <laughs> especially when when you win and uh, that, well, obviously you wouldn't sing it if you lose. So <laughs> when you win and and you've got that energy and excitement behind it, and you can see the enjoyment on everyone's faces. That's that's what puts the the real energy into it. When I think about the theme songs and I think about Fremantle's one, oh. so short, like, how do you have a GV chance to enjoy it and look <laughs> each other in the eye and sing this? And then it's like, Frio, here you done. I was like, goodness me. So, no, I love our song. Um, I guess, was there a moment away from the cameras where you can sort of, you reflected on what you achieved that sort of stands out to you? Because I guess we saw all the sort of stuff on the rooms and your emotion out on the ground, but is, it, is there anything away from the cameras that maybe we didn't see? Um... Not as a solid moment, like there wasn't like a day or where, but there was, there's little flecks of a day where you just be like, wow, I achieved something cool this year. We achieved something cool this year. Um, And so those were, you almost wanted to chase them. It was kind of like a little, I don't know, like it sounds stupid, but like a fairy, you know, like you think you've got it and then it's gone. Like, like, oh, damn it. Like, I wish I could remember that again. And, but then you get like a text from one of the boys or they send a photo or you see another video or watch the highlights of another game. And that brings back that energy, that emotion. And it's, um, yeah, it brings back that feeling all over again. I think probably the most publicised celebration had to be Jack Rewald up on stage. Uh, how did you learn that that was even happening? Did you even know it was happening at the time? You got to love him, don't you, Jack? He's like one of those. I'm just jealous. Oh yes, yeah, so I think everyone was, it, and we only learnt it because we were all hanging out with our family and friends and having a few beers down in the change rooms. I think one of the coaches did a shoey. It was great. And then like, where's Jack? And next thing we sort of see up on the screen, he's. He's singing with the killers. I was like, mate, you lucky dog. But yeah. nah, he, he's very um, smart with stuff like that. Like, he, you know, who, who would have thought to go, hey, can I jump up and sing with you guys? Yeah. And now he's got a memory for life. Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I'm never going to win an AFL premiership, but I'm dev- definitely never going to sing with the killers. Uh, what, was the, what was the group reaction? It was like, that's so Jack, but <laughs> I'm so jealous. Like, that's so, so cool. Um, yeah, like, I don't even think the, the lead singer, is it, what's his name, Flowers? Uh, yeah, Brandon Flowers. Brandon Flowers. Yeah. I don't even think he knew who Jack was either. <laughs> so like, because I think they, I saw a tweet later that was like, this guy in yellow really likes our songs. Like, that, that was it. It was really, really funny. So um, very cool moment for him. Take me back to the start of grand final day. You wake up, uh, you're playing in a grand final. What's your mindset? 
Well, this year we did a lot of work on our mental preparation and, and for five years or maybe six years prior to that, I did a lot of visualization stuff, almost unofficially. Like I, I'd like to- Outside the club or? Uh, yeah. No, just before a game. So it was before it was sort of in vogue. Uh, I, I didn't even know that that's what I was doing, but I'd always just like think about games that I'd played really well, felt really good. And then would go into the game feeling less anxious because I felt like I had all these runs on the board and I wasn't thinking about all those kicks that I'd missed and, and things like that. So then it became this in vogue thing that was like, yeah, meditation, mindset, um, being present. Um, and it was a really good progression for me because I then got to really focus and hone down on what made me a good player. So then during the the final series as it led up to the grand final it was just rolling out a similar process you got a few different things thrown at you but still that confidence and any belief in our structure and my own personal gameplay was just a matter of you know taking one step at a time it was really simple you talk about honing in on those specifics what are they for you that make you such a good player do you think uh so i've got a few words which you know if I'm not feeling too great I'll um, recite to myself so I want to make sure that I'm strong dynamic proactive and and calm and clear so with my leadership with all that kind of thing I want to make sure that everything about the way I play the way I lead reflects those those words. Um, There's plenty of moments to pick out from the the AFL grand final um, for Richmond fans one that sort of stood out for me was in that second quarter Crows ahead by about 12 points. Um, the ball comes in, looks like Taylor Walker's going to um, take a mark pretty much straight in front of goals. And then a, a, an Alex Rance fist comes flying in and makes the spoil. Go down the other end, Jack Rewalt kicks a goal. Is, is it a moment that stands out for you? Um, Do you even remember it? I remember it, yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's I enjoy other people's moments more than my own. So <laughs> I, I try and... Because I'm quite a harsh critic on myself, even though, and I guess that's why my mindset's really important that I can reset because I always think about the the little occasions where I could have been a little bit cleaner or or got someone else in a better position. So uh, other moments like Dan Butler's snap, that was like the moment for me where I was like, there might be a chance here, even though it was just like calm down one step at a time. Uh, and and other, other performances like Dave Asprey, like his performance for the whole day to keep Taylor Walker pretty much silent. Nathan Broad on Tom Lynch, who is a really uh, important conduit forward. Uh, both their roles went pretty unheralded, or Dave's a little bit more than Broadies, but um, yeah, they're, they're what I remember more so than any, anything I did. Dustin Martin was obviously a lightning rod for attention, um, given he had a reasonable game of footy. Yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to know, if you were trying to talk to someone from, let's say, the United Kingdom who's never seen a game of Aussie rules before, how would you describe um, a person like Dustin Martin to them? Um, it would be very hard because they probably wouldn't understand the game to start with, but I'd say envision a young student in year 12 and then you put him in a game against year 10s and you also put him through an intense program of weights and strength training, he's going to treat them like children. So he, he pretty much treated the whole AFL world like we were just children. Because, um, you know, what it reflected to me was, you know, when you see at school and you look up to these guys, when, especially at private school, like, wow, like he's so good. He's going to be like the next big thing. And then they'd kind of fade away. But like Dusty would have been one of those kids who was like, wow, he's going to be the best. And he is the best then now he's going to continue on in that vein so yeah he is one of a kind can you envisage him getting even better as a footballer yeah Yeah. I I can I and you don't want to take away what makes him brilliant but there's a defensive element of his game which people probably don't see as much but like they see his amazing ability to change the angles of the game and be strong and dominant and things like that but I think everyone and, and the way that the game of football is played it's a game of mistakes. So the defensive element of everyone's game can always can always get better. Um, I love the idea with of a team with within a team, and I think you've written previously about the defensive unit and, and your close bonds there. Can you tell us why that particular those bonds are so special to you? Well, I think there's a, a, a saying that goes around that all defenders are failed forwards. So <laughs> it's pretty much like the scrap heap. So we've got to, we're our last hope for each other. We've got to hang on, otherwise this football career is going to pass us by. Um, so I think there's just, I'm not sure if all back lines are like this because I've never played for another club, but 
Dylan Grimes, David Asprey, Nick Vlosten, especially as the other leaders in, in that back line, super desperate, super courageous, and just, we all have a lot in common. Like, we love going outdoors. We all joke about that I'm not really a country boy, but I pretend like I am. Grew up on three and a half acres with one cow. Um, so, <laughs> take it, you take yeah, it. Yeah, I'll take it, I'll yeah. take it. Um, but yeah, we just, it, it's, we, we just gel without even really having to try. And then we share the same work ethic and, um, and then it sort of builds from there, the respect for each other's games. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like a particularly special bond and it seemed as though when you were celebrating it, it, it meant a lot to you to experience it with those, those guys as well. Um, was the grand final, as much as it was a moment to celebrate your own success and how far you've come, was it also about almost celebrating the people who have helped you get to that moment? Yeah, that was probably the most emotional moment I had after the grand final, after the siren went, was I was fortunate enough that all my family got to come because my dad got a, a corporate box through his work and so that was at the punt road and directly behind the goals, right where I was standing when the siren went. So I pretty much looked up, saw my family and you know, it gives me goosebumps now to, to, to think about that and to see them, them in tears because in a game you don't have an opportunity to really even see the crowd to, and then when that moment goes and you can look from the battlefield up at your family who are just so ecstatic for you, that's, that's a moment I'll savour for the rest of my life because I know they're super proud of me and, and I'm glad that and I hope that they can see that it's all because of the work that they put into me. You touched on your old man, how, how important an influence has he been on not just your football career but your, um, your development as a person? When a young uh, player progresses into the AFL ranks, it's a bit of a roller coaster with your dad especially because they go from it being your hobby together. So you sit down when you're under 12s, under 13s, you clean your boots together, you chuck the newspaper in it so they don't shrink, you talk about the game, you, and go outside and have a kick. Um, you know, the ball gets a bit waterlogged. All these different memories which come back to me now but when I was younger. And then it starts to become a bit more professional, a bit more professional, and then it's your job. So it changes from being a hobby, something you love, something you do anyway, to something that exhausts you, and both mentally and physically. So you don't want to talk about it with your dad anymore. So that was hard for him, and it was, in hindsight, I wish I had handled it better, but now I can see the game for what it is again, and the, the love and joy that it brings the whole community, not just my family. And now dad and I can talk about football until the cows come home. So it sort of does come in a bit of a, a roller coaster type uh, type pattern for young footballers. How hard is that transition where um, it goes from being uh, your passion to your job? Like it's got to be quite a stark transition, doesn't it? It and is. not something you probably, it's not like someone's flicking a light. It sort of almost happens gradually, I would imagine. And it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard in general, but even when, when you're not playing, especially, that's when it is even harder because you feel like you're not worthy and all that time that your dad and, and parents put in is, is sort of been wasted and you think that you're gonna be spat out the system and, and a lot of the case that happens, which is, which is heartbreaking for a lot of those guys, but um, for, the, for the guys that play really well and they've got something to hold on to, this is gonna be good. Um, and you're always very critical of yourself early days in your career too because you're trying to learn a new game plan, make new friends, uh, build up yourself physically uh, and so all those things make your head just spin and so it is a bit of a hard transition early days for young guys. Sounds like almost elements of fear and loathing really, like fear and self-loathing. Like, it sounds it, pretty dark. Well, Once you get over the honeymoon period, like you know, you've been drafted, you meet all yeah. these new guys and you, uh, I think the first pre-season is still your honeymoon period. Like, this is great. I'm, mm. I'm playing with some of the guys that I've looked up to for years. And then the first game, round one, you don't get picked. And this was, this was my career. Like, mm. I, my, I'd, I played VFL reserves my first three games. So it wasn't even VFL. It was VFL reserves. I was rubbish. Um, and so th that's when it really hits home. You're like, wow, this isn't all that it's cracked up to be, all the glitz and glamour and yeah, I feel like I haven't really achieved all that I'd set out to because all your friends are like, oh yeah, you're going to play in the round one and all this kind of stuff and add a bit of pressure. So it's, it's really um, creating that family environment to get those guys through because you don't want to forget the talent that brought you there in the first place and sometimes that can be squashed as a result. Um, obviously your father was uh, a very good player in his own right, captain of the West Coast Eagles. Did you support the Eagles growing up and did you kind of want to go to West Coast? I 
I did. Um, I yeah, it was a it was a very strange scenario because Scott Selwood, uh, so he went to West Coast, uh, and we were around sort of the same pick, and they were talking about he and I. And if you go not, back on the draft, not exactly footage, like for like, is it? N- not at yeah. all. Yeah. And well, they had uh, had dra- just drafted Eric McKenzie the year before, yeah. uh, best and first winner. Uh, they had Darren Glass, who. All Australians coming out the wazoo, best and fairest coming out the wazoo, one of the greatest defenders of all time. They had uh, Schofield there. They had a pretty solid back six. So I, I can see the why that didn't happen. My dad, on the other hand, he yeah. was like more emotionally attached and said, you should have taken him anyway. Um, so that was a bit of a... Um, on the draft vision, is it? can you see? Well, because what, what happened was I, I, there was a... I think Richmond had the pick before and there was a big silence because they, no one sort of expected me to be that, to drop, um, to pick 18. And so, and neither, neither Scott Selwood. So it was this weird, uh, they asked for extra time and then they picked me. And so dad was like a little bit flat, but at the same time, he, he loves the Tigs now. Still is really tight with Guy McKenna and John Warsfold, who he played with at West Coast. But um, yeah, he's, he loves the Tigs. Um. Was that stressful? Because, as you say, sort of watching yourself drop down the draft, do you start having... Obviously, you were going to get picked, but do you start having moments where you're like, I might not get picked here at all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because you always... And as a, I was forever an optimist. I still am. Uh, and I, I thought, you know, I'm, I could potentially be a top 10 pick. And you see, you Google top, phantom drafts and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And, and it creates this bit of false ho- uh, hope and hype around your draft and so um, it was it was very scary and especially because I didn't want to go to like uh, like another team I'm not going to say that on camera but <laughs> I didn't want to go to other teams that were sort of hovering around there too so because they um, probably had a bad season that's why they've got high draft picks that's right yeah, yeah. so and even even the Tigs were sort of a up struggle street we had the second pick which they picked Koch which mm-hmm. turned out to be a pretty handy pick he was alright he was okay <laughs> uh, and then yeah myself and that that was it for our draft like that's all that's left so um, yeah it was a very nerve wracking time um it's, what I find interesting about that as well is that it seems to me from what you're saying that um, where you go in the draft kind of does matter. I mean, I know all the players sort of suggest that they're just happy to be drafted, but as a competitive person, you wanted to be drafted higher rather than it mattered to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It was... And I think you can see <clears throat> you can see as well, and times are changing a lot more because the drafts are batting a lot deeper than what they did when I was mm. playing sorry, when I was playing juniors and, and beforehand, because they, they put a lot more time and effort into the professionals. The TAC Cup is amazing and, and so a lot of the other state leagues and development pathways. So it used to be if you were a top 10 pick, you were pretty much guaranteed 50 games. You'd get put in and played and played and played until you proved them that you were not good enough. And if you were a lower pick than that, you would have to bust your tail to even get one game. And so in my mind, I was like, if I drop too low, like, I'm not, I'm not a super freakish talent, like I'm an athlete. I need to be taught how to play the game. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it is scary at times, but now you see like Jack Graham pick 56 or seven in the draft and he won the last medal. He was the best player of the under 18s carnival. Mm. So you had, how does that equate kind of thing, which means that the drafts are batting deeper. Um, we touched on your father. I'm interested in the idea of father figures in coaching as well. I was talking to another super senior AFL player earlier today and he was um, making the point that even though he had great success with the coach, he didn't necessarily have um, a close relationship with him. So what's your relationship like with Damien Hardwick? We're very different personalities. I think why Trent and Damien get along really well is because they are very similar in personality. They're slightly more introverted than Jack and myself. And so I think early days it would have been hard for Dimmer to wrap his head around what I was about. Am I just taking the piss or am I actually going to be a decent player for this club? Am I going to distract people? Um, And especially in that transitional period out of a quite a dictatorship, which coaching staffs would would do, like when Richo was playing, this is the the game plan, do it, to more of a... um, Collaborative? Yeah, collaborative and more democratic way of, of just getting the game plan across and all that kind of stuff. So I was very outspoken and um, about how I thought the game was and I still don't necessarily play the game by the game plan a lot of the time. It works out sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and so 
our relationship had had to grow from there. But we, we we do have a lot in common. But it wasn't as if we were yeah super tight and having dinners every every second week. It's kind of weird in that scenario, isn't it? Because I guess effectively, if you look at it from um, a traditional workplace environment, he's your boss, but and you don't necessarily always get along with your boss. And trying to build that relationship is quite tricky. So. How do you go about sort of building that relationship? Is it just about earning respect effectively? Earning respect to a, to a certain extent without compromising what you're about because it's, you wanna maintain your own identity and, and say, you know, this is who I am. I understand I have some flaws, but I also feel like I bring some good to the table as well. And especially in professional environment, you, you do feel very judged a lot of the time and that you feel you have to strip yourself back. Like in my first few years, I was a, a tagger, a forward, a wingman. Uh, they started me as like a running half back, but I couldn't kick and hit a target. So <laughs> then it was just like, well, what do we do with you? And then it wasn't until Leper came along, who's probably more of that father figure or, or older brother, that sort of said, mate, you've got all these attributes, let's funnel them into making you a really good key position player. And then so that was the moment that sort of sparked my career rather than sort of trying me in all these different places. Um, we saw uh, Justin Lepich lose his job at the Brisbane Lions. It was, you know, it looked like Damien Harbuck would have the same fate at Richmond. The fact that only a short time later he's, you know, won Richmond their first premiership in a long, long time. What do you think that tells you about the industry as a whole? I think the industry is very act now, think later. A lot of, uh, especially head coaches, lose their jobs far before they've had an opportunity to be able to establish a good culture, a sound understanding of the game plan. And when you think about what happened to Leper at the start of his, his tenure at Brisbane, he lost some pretty good top-end <laughs> talent that got homesick, whatever. Um, and, you know, you can there's multiple reasons why or why not they could have stayed or, or left. But if you've got Elliot Yo. Sam Doherty, uh, I think, can't remember who a couple of the other guys were, but those two in themselves have both won a best and fairest. So they're no slouches. Mm. Uh, and, and that would have maybe stemmed the tide a little bit. And, and if they, they're good leaders in themselves too. So it was a, almost a perfect storm in a lot of ways because Brisbane can be isolating and um, Leper was the um, prodigal son returning to save the club from the... The, the pathway that it was going down and couldn't quite couldn't quite turn it, which was which was disappointing. But it was great for me because I got to see my mate again, yeah. and he he got to bring uh, his coaching element to our forward line, which turned into a real strength. Um, I think it's clear from the sort of conversation we're having that you're not your sort of standard cookie cutter stereotypical footballer, um, and you look at the success that you guys had with Richmond in the last sort of few months. And it just makes it all the more incredible to me that you nearly walked away from the game. Um, how, how close were you to deciding that football wasn't necessarily the right life or career path for you? Yeah, well, I had I had pretty much made my mind up that I was I was done at the end of the season, um, but I didn't anticipate all the scrutiny and all the media attention because I I didn't foresee myself having the career that I've had. I thought I might play 100 games and it'd be great and I'd be pumped with that and then I'd, I'd sort of ride off into the sunset but yeah to, to have already played 170 or whatever and, and have played in the grand final and all, all those other things it's um, yeah that's probably where I matured because I was like yeah this is great and I can surely I can just do other stuff which is fun and can earn me enough money and, and I can make my family happy at the same time but it wasn't until I had to go, well, hang on, this is becoming a bit real now and make adult decisions and, and weigh the costs of every decision. So, you know, what would I miss the most if I was to finish football? And I'd miss hanging out with the boys and I'd miss teaching young guys uh, to, to play to their strengths and, and, and be brilliant. And I'd miss that leadership role. So all those things I'd had to, I'd, I'd need to find outside football to be able to make myself fulfilled mm. so that's that's I think that year was really good for me from a mature maturation perspective um, because I knew I always wanted to give back to my family and I wanted to spend more time just being a bit more free with my time because football can be quite consuming um, so yeah I was very very close to, to wrapping up so obviously the side of the scale that weighed um, heavily won and you've sort of detailed those the things that were on that side of the scale. What was the motivation to perhaps walk away? What did you like about the prospect of leaving footy? I just wanted to 
spend more time with my family. Uh, I wanted to do more uh, associated with my faith uh, because I felt like being in the spotlight uh, would draw attention to me and I'm not perfect and I, I don't want to necessarily be a role model um, from that perspective and say that like, you must have a faith and you must believe that a God's out there and all that kind of stuff because people need to make that decision for themselves and so I found that quite conflicting that I wanted to talk to people about deeper issues but at the same time I didn't want to have that much sway that they would just do it just because I'm Alex Rance the footballer. So that, that's what sort of weighed on my mind a lot from a, from a spiritual perspective, but definitely the, the family and spending time with my wife. And, and my, my wife's not a massive uh, fan of the spotlight and of uh, everything that's associated on the periphery of football, which is, you know, people asking for photos when you're out for dinner and having to always, you know, not go out for a beer or, you know, have a big night on a, on a school night kind of thing. Mm. So yeah, that was, they, they were things that pretty, that really pulled me towards finishing up. I'm fascinated by um, you touching on your faith there as well. Is it, for want of a better term, is it hard to be a person of faith or have strong beliefs in the, the sort of football industry, do you think? Like, does, it, does the football industry bring a level of scrutiny on those things that is maybe unfair, for want of a, a better word? I think any time someone's in the public eye, and if you make a stance on anything, whether it's... Um, faith or race or whatever it's going to be there's always going to be trolls and people out there who are going to pot you whether they believe it or not mm. and so that's when oh, that's I guess what makes it hard for, for players to have their own independent voice and, and when you feel like the media sometimes twists your words for the sake of a story or a headline that's when you shrink down a little bit and you and you don't feel as proud of of what you stand for so you don't you don't speak about it as much so the spotlight is really hard to have a stance opinion on bigger issues that are bigger than just winning games of football it's quite a scary thought isn't it that like the scrutiny that you, that um, a person is under can potentially diminish or shrink their beliefs like is that quite a confronting idea for you yeah i think so I, Australia in general is sort of you keep your opinions to yourself kind of culture and a bit of a tall poppy syndrome that floats around and, and that flies well for some but if you really want people and ideas to flourish and be accepted it, it needs to it needs to change in a lot of ways and I, I don't want to stand on a soapbox and, and start preaching about sure. that we need to change our culture as Australians or whatever but I definitely think that um, for the sake of mental health especially and um, anxiety levels and stress people need to be more authentic and need to be more accepting of other people because they bring a difference to the world and they're not just a cookie cutter off the production line type of person yeah. um, as a Jehovah's Witness do you feel that your religion your faith informs <clears throat> the way you are as a footballer uh, as much as a person as well does it inform the way that you go um, about your job what do you mean by inform? Um, does it sort of influence, I guess, or do you take cues from your faith to the way you perform your job? Um, I think the, the way I play conflicts, mm. but the way I lead conforms. So um, I am a very physical player. Mm. I um, get in a lot of scuffles and things like that. And, and the position that I play uh, requires that. And so when I want to... Um, you know, talk to people about love and care and all things, they're definitely things which are a central part to being Jehovah's Witness. It's, that, that's conflicting because I'm beating a guy up and, you know, <laughs> trying, to, trying to beat him and put myself over him. Uh, but then when I talk about my, my, the leadership side of things, I definitely feel that I show that empathy, care, um, humility to try and make others better and um, that, that complements it. But it's definitely not an easy road to walk when you do have this, um, for better word, conflict with inside you of, of what your mind kind of wants to do and pursue, but your heart's telling you to do something else. A quick break from Alex Rance to tell you about MJ Bale, our fantastic sponsors. They provide us locations, they provide us kit. As you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see Alex Rance is looking pretty sharp 
they're doing a reasonable job with me too, and I'm not the same sort of canvas as Alex Rance. So get yourself down to MJ Bale, great suits, two for a grand, pretty good deal, not to mention all the great slacks, the great ties, the great uh, you know pocket squares. There's a fair array of kit, uh, and if you're a bit of a dandy like me, I think you'll certainly enjoy it. And if you're a regular bloke and you just need some good kit, you'll enjoy it too. Also, what you might enjoy is more Stack Report. We've got plenty more episodes in the archives that are worth a look. Damian Martin, Ed Cowan, if you're a cricket fan. Chris Rogers, if you're a cricket fan. Not to mention Michael Checker, uh, Wallaby's coach. The likes of Tom Harley and Ty Canelli, if you like your Aussie rules. Matthew Pavlich too, Braithen Astor, Gordon Tallis, the list goes on and on. If you're enjoying this chat, I dare say you'll probably enjoy those ones too. And if you're enjoying this chat, you probably need to do us a favour. Go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends. We need all the help we can get as we keep to try, try and keep rather, growing the Stack Report. Also, 24, great website, great app. I'm working for them. Got to be okay then, doesn't it? <laughs> More than 100 athletes posting every week. It's a unique insight into what goes on behind the scenes for our athletes. It is where life and sport combine. Some great docu- little mini docos, some great content too. Check it out, 24. For now, it's back to Alex Rance and the Stack Report. It's interesting you're talking, I guess, about the need for society as much as football to be inclusive about these things. And I found it really interesting in a piece that you wrote as well that you spoke to Basha Hawley after the grand final and said... Um, that you know, it was as a practicing Muslim. You know, don't feel that you've got to do what everyone else does and um, celebrate it your way. I thought that was a, a really nice sort of a nice thought. It, is that something that you'd sort of was it premeditated almost, or was it just sort of spur of the moment? I think it was a little bit spur of the moment because it was a little bit what I was feeling too, um, and I, I wanted, and and not even from a spiritual perspective. I wanted everyone to have their own individual success experience I didn't want everyone to see the grand final through my eyes because later on later on down the track I wanted to pick their brains on you know what they saw it's it's like having 40 different GoPros that you can sort of what re-watch or retell the story so um, you know his was probably the most sober of all of ours you know he'd be able to give us the most accurate <laughs> exactly. reflection of how we how we celebrated um, and and so I, yeah, just really wanted to soak it all in and make sure that everyone was comfortable and, and didn't feel forced into singing in The Killers, you know, sort of thing, <laughs> which it was just completely comfortable with Jack, with Jack and probably sure. a lot of other guys. Appropriate for him, but not yeah. necessarily for everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure he was comfortable. Um, I've spoken to a number of athletes about the idea of um, their sport um, and we sort of touched on it already being uh, a career, not necessarily a passion. Is that where it sits for you? Is it is it more... A career than say a passion or is it a divergence I think it's a divergence yeah I I've gone through like I spoke about earlier about that roller coaster with my dad initially it's a career and I think if you get spat out and on not great terms it'll still probably be a career I'm just gonna go play country footy because it's a bit of cash it's mm. um, it keeps me fit and I can just have beers on the weekend kind of thing mm. but as I grew, I saw um, and I started to become a bit more um, successful and, and guys wanted to ask me for advice. I saw it more as a passion because I, I, I found that helping others made me feel better about myself. Yeah. And, and that's where I reckon the passion element came into it because um, I think too often we forget what our passions are for the sake of a job. So when you're a kid, you know, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be this, I want to be a firefighter, and then I'm an accountant, you know? It's, and there's nothing wrong with accountants, don't get me wrong, but it's certainly <laughs> Got not... Got a couple of brother accountants. Yeah. Yeah, I let them know about it all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's certainly, um, unless you're working at, at NASA as an accountant, then it's not really following your passions, is it? And I, I definitely encourage people to think a bit deeper about what their passions are and, and strive for that and don't just settle. Don't just settle for a job that pays the bills because... You're going to come home and it's going to affect your happiness and the happiness of people around you. It's one of those things, isn't it? It's almost like um, it's a series of com- uh, compromises before you reach that point where it's it's almost diminished altogether. Yeah. Um, uh, and you've touched on, I guess, y- your desire and your passion for helping to teach younger players in the footy club. And that's something you've sort of taken well beyond the footy club to to start this education pathway of the academy. Can For those who maybe don't know about it, can you just sort of break it down to us what Alex Rance's academy is? Yeah. Um, I certainly haven't put my name to it, but it's it's just the academy because, I yeah, I don't want to 
Um, I don't want too many guys to uh, to think that I'm the font of all knowledge, but um, <laughs> sorry, yeah. but poor choice of words. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Um, so it basically is what we just talked about: encapsulating those passions and and tying real world skills and education to it, because currently the education system's broken. It's 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 not even a uh, it's not even a thought. People know that it's broken, but. We continue to do it, continue to strive for a number which creates stress, anxiety. You have to do uh, a bachelor degree, which gets you nothing these days. You have to do another degree on top of that. So you've got seven years worth of post-grad education that if you're not completely convinced that that's where you want to go, that's wasted years. Whereas if you knew exactly what you wanted to do from the straight out of school, and that's what I feel your last two years of school should be about. Well, I love sport. so. Do I want to be an athlete? Do I want to be a groundskeeper? Because, you know, I love being outside. Do I want to be a PT? Do I want to be a dietitian? All these things which are in the, the sporting sphere. And then how do I start to create a pathway towards that? And, and other things that we did were uh, survey a lot of other industry professionals and say, what are some real world transferable skills that would really help young people to, to be successful in a workplace outside? So things like knowing yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses. So if you're not a massive reader and you're more a kinesthetic learner, get, get out and do more. Don't put yourself in a situation where you have to read heaps. Um, and, and different things like public speaking, lateral thinking, problem solving, and, and, and we created our own curriculum. So you, you educated over your last two years, so year 11 and 12, uh, and then start started on a pathway which aligns with your passions. Do you think if you were, let's say 16 now, growing up in Melbourne, would it be the right fit for you? If I was growing up now, it would, because I'm not sure, and this is where the the hurdles lie, is because parents have a different mindset to what students have. Because me, like, you know what you love, but your parents are like, I know what's good for you, or I think I know yeah. what's good for you. So they're and gonna, you're both probably right. Yeah, 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 100%. So it needs to be that healthy compromise, and the parents need to be convinced that this education is good enough for them to get a job and be successful in life afterwards. Because the kids... All they, all they care about is their passion. Sweet, I'm going to be able to kick footies all day. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to learn more about footy. Uh, and then they sort of, you know, if I learn a bit about uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic, you know, I'll do that on the side. So it is that combination of, um, you know, aligning your passion with education. But in answer to your question, I, I think I... It is a tough one because I was such... A, I was passionate about so many things as a kid. I was passionate about sport. I was loved uh, sort of exploring and travel and being outside. Uh, I had like a, a spiritual bent. So I had, I was a bit of a chameleon when it came to schooling. So if there's kids out there that know they definitely love sport, sport is their life, then this is absolutely, I think, the best education for them. And, and as time goes on, we're gonna branch out into other passions as well. So, you know, if you're passionate about IT and gaming, there's, there's people who get paid lots and lots of money and esports. Esports is huge to mm. play FIFA. Yeah. And people watch them playing FIFA. That blows my mind. Yeah, I know. Like, I was reading something on this yesterday. It's um, as a sort of, you know, a traditionally raised sports lover, I just can't get my, wrap my head around it. But it's astonishing the, the interest in people go to these, like, to effectively arenas to watch people play these games. They're uh, athletes life. now, too. Yeah. yeah. They train. Mental athletes. Like 10 hours a day playing, you know, practicing. It's, mm. it's, it's astonishing. So, my idea of, um, or our idea at the academy, of you know get, getting these parents to say all my son does is sit, sit in his room and play games that's great if they're passionate about that let's get them a job in that mm. if they want to be the best at that and you know we, we tie these real world skills with them as well so that they still can know their strengths and weaknesses have a great interactive conversation with people um, then I don't see why that can't be a win for them as well and, and they're proud of what they do they don't have to hide for the fact that oh, I love gaming or whatever when, so. when you finish football, do you see that as your main career path, education in that sort of role? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, I always loved working with young people and, and helping people to achieve greatness and things like that, or even just achieve um, and make themselves feel happy. A better um, version of them, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's definitely where I see myself going for football. Um, your contract's up at 2019, all right? Mm -hmm. Did winning a premiership, does that... Um, is that wetting the appetite or does that hasten the end, do you think? Um, I'm a pretty present type of person. I like to enjoy the moment. So I haven't actually thought that far ahead. Um, I, I don't foresee that I'll be playing until I'm 40, like Dustin Fletcher. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually really thought that deep into it. I, I really enjoyed the moment, and it's addictive, definitely, that mm. success. And um, seeing your friends, uh, your really close mates, more excited than I've ever seen them, that, that's definitely addictive. So who knows, over the next two years, hopefully we can get a bit more of that. You've been having um, astonishing personal success, uh, All-Australian captain. Glenn Jakovich, amongst others, sort of throwing your name in there as the, uh, arguably the greatest defender of all time, certainly in the conversation, according to people who know a lot more about football than me. Um, does that sort of praise sit well with you, comfortably? No, not at all. I think you probably saw by my uh, awkward facial expression, <laughs> I start to twitch a bit when people give me praise. So. Um, yeah, I've always said to my wife, I'm not very good at receiving gifts um, or, or compliments, so it um, makes, me, makes me squirm a little bit. And I appreciate it, but my idols and, and well, not, they're not idols, but my um, role models that I look to from a, a football perspective, you know, were like Dustin Fletcher, Matthew Scarlett, Darren Glass, mm. these guys who, in my mind, will never be unseated, sauce, will never be unseated as the greatest of all time. And it, it's nice to fantasise and it'll be great pub trivia to talk about it later on, but in my mind, it's always, it's always going to be them. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the compliments. Um, as you head towards 2018, how do you think that the Premiership's going to impact the Richmond Football Club? Well, it always adds more complexity to the story. There's no doubt about that because people are going to look at us, look at us as the premiers, not also runs like we have in, in previous years. So <clears throat> they'll look at our game plan from last year and, and try and tear it apart as every every club does every year. So you can't deny that it's not going to change how we're perceived. And and if some players can or can't deal with that, that'll that'll be their little um, project to work on. But from what I've seen in pre-season, it, it hasn't really affected anyone's work ethic or um, way that they've gone about their preparation at all. Because, I mean, from the outside looking in, I would have to imagine that it, um, it, it, how can you possibly be as hungry once you've won one? But, I mean, you're living it. Mm. How, how do you maintain that hunger? Well, yeah, well, like I said, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a drug. It's, it's so addictive that I've said so many times that what I would pay to have that last hour after the game, you know, I'd they could have my medal. I just want it would would want to feel that emotion. And so, <clears throat> when you're constantly chasing that emotion, I, I think that that breeds that hunger. And I think, you know, I'd almost I've fantasized about you know I'd celebrate a different way. I think like I'd I'd probably how would you celebrate differently? Well, I think I'd probably not be running around like a headless chook as much. I'd probably try and take a bit more in and, and I think I'd be less emotional, more... Um, oh, you never know though, but I'd, I'd, yeah, try and take more in. Like I saw when Hawthorne won one of theirs, I saw Ben Stratton running around with a GoPro on his head and I was like, you look like a flog. Like you look so strange and now I think that is the best idea and the greatest thing that I've ever seen because forever he'll have that and, and can just play it back over in his mind and so for me like if we ever got the chance I'll be getting my GoPro in my, my backpack for sure <laughs> yeah we have to like sort, sort one out for um, the next 12 months surely. yeah well I need to make sure that I could get singing with whoever's going to be doing the, the after party as well so <laughs> oh Matt I think that's fantastic um, I've heard you talk about the sort of special culture that's been built at the club throughout this sort of successful period um, what words would you use to describe that culture? How would you describe it, Eamon? Um, if it was one word, probably just connection. Um, being able to relate and feel like you belong is not an easy thing to manufacture because you've got 40 people who are introverted, extroverted, have different values and beliefs, are at different stages of their maturity. So to get a common vision and a common way of doing things is not, not simple. No. So we, we built a great culture based around being proud of who you are and, and being connected with your teammates and, and being a bit vulnerable too. That's interesting that, the being vulnerable. Like, how did that manifest itself? Like, how did you, how, can you give me an example almost of like, how do you sort of, it, sound, it sounds silly to say, but get each other to be sort of, be vulnerable yeah it's not is, um, it, is that like a feedback situation where you're giving <clears throat> honest feedback or how 
Yeah, that, it's it's funny you talk about that. There's, I think there's different schools of thought about um, you know giving and receiving feedback and and being vulnerable. And some people see being vulnerable as crying on someone's shoulder and you know don't be afraid to cry and all that kind of stuff. Which you know I'm a big advocate for. I've <laughs> cried, um, but it was more along the lines of of storytelling and this is who I am because um, and I'd, it's it's hard to, to talk about as well because it's very personal to me sure. and very private um, and I don't want to betray the trust of these guys who've entrusted me with these um, very personal stories and, and I guess that's what would put uh, it's like almost the antithesis to, to connection is you know telling everyone about it hey guess what this guy did this yeah. and um, so yeah that's I guess what that we keep it very sacred that that bond and connection that we have with each other. Um, without wanting to pry into it, but is it a scenario where people are standing up and sort of declaring the sort of person that they are uh, amongst each other? Or is it not necessarily as regimented as that, as sort of formulaic as that? Uh, there is formula to it. It's a more just storytelling, basically. You don't often have opportunities to, to tell heartfelt stories about yourself um, in any working environment really like how often if you um, you know worked here at MJ Bale for example you you go up to your, your co-worker and say um, you know I had this really hard experience when I was 10 15 whatever it may be and it um, it really still rocks me today uh, that the person would be like whoa back up that's yeah. pretty full-on to be saying that to me at this workplace like, <laughs> so it's context right yeah yeah and so I guess in a less, like it's not a, a structured routine or anything like that, but being able to allow people to, I'm sort of trying to, it's hard because I don't, I don't really want to go into it uh, in too much detail, but, but telling people about who you are and the reasons why you are who you are. Um, you touched on the fact that, you know, you've cried before. I know you cried tears of joy. When was the last time football made you cry tears of sadness? Can you remember? Um, tears of sadness. Oh yeah, um, a lot of retirements. So I've seen a lot of good guys retire. Uh, Troy Chaplin, Chris Newman, um, guys that had big impacts on my on my career uh, from a cultural perspective, and, and and Troy from both sides, from culturally and uh, from a playing perspective. <laughs> I'm not getting emotional now. I'm just getting <laughs> a frog in the throat. For those who are just listening, not watching, he's just having a drink of water. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those were tears of sadness because um, I always wanted to achieve the ultimate success with them because I felt like I owed it to them. And I felt like sometimes that maybe I wasn't good enough, quick enough to be able to uh, assist in that, to be able to... Uh, you know, if, if only I was a little bit better or a little bit better leader and made other people better, maybe I could have played in a grand final with Newey or, or Chappie. Um, so that was hard. They're, they're tears of sadness. You know, you, you cry immature tears of sadness when you're younger about not getting selected and stuff like that. And But they're, you know, they're hard, heartbreaking at the time. But when in the scheme of things, you're just like, it's just a game. Yeah. So it, it seems a little bit silly. And even like you know, crying when when guys retire, it's like, oh, well, they're not they're not dead. You know, I'm, I'm going to be able to see them. So it, sometimes you do feel a little bit silly, but that's the type of person that I am, I guess. I'm I'm quite an emotional person and and not afraid to not afraid to show the people that I care about them. Um, interesting in that answer, you touched on those two guys, Chaplin and Newman, having some of the biggest impacts in your career. Who would you say has had the biggest impact on your football career? A leper for sure Um, because he gave me all the tools to feel like I belong Uh, because I I could always run really well push weights in the gym and uh, that was it Um, so you know he he gave me something else to be proud of which was contest work you plonk yourself long down the line and push blokes around and and try and mark it or try and spoil it Um, so his tutelage over those I think it was three or four years made me and people often ask me if you had gone to Hawthorne or if you had have gone back home to West Coast um, you know if you had gone to Hawthorne you would have won a flag if you had gone back to West Coast um, who knows what could have happened and it is a sliding doors moment because I don't think I would be the player that I am today if I had have left because I wouldn't have met Leper so 
you know, all these different things get thrown up in scenarios again, you know, in, in pub forums. Uh, but yeah, he's the one that has had the greatest impact on my life, on were my football career. Were you close to going to West Coast or Hawthorne? Was I think it was more Frio. Um, they had a pretty decent crack, uh, but Hawthorne was definitely uh, was definitely an option. I think it was Josh Gibson or me um, at the time, and yeah, I I had always valued loyalty and and that's I, that's not having a, a dig at anyone who's left a football sure. club and saying they're disloyal but I just I don't know I enjoyed being with guys that I, that I liked and I'd built, built a friendship with them and so it didn't really bother me if if we um, you know were successful at that stage because I was still enjoying my, my time with my mates so it was like a, a win-win either way we win a flag awesome I'm still with my mates, awesome. Whereas if I had a left and had to start again mm. and no one liked me there, it would have been a lose-lose <laughs> and we still didn't win a flag. I was like, oh, could have been a shocking setup. <laughs> um, we finished all these interviews with like a short and sharp, just a, a number of sort of rapid fire questions. Do your best. Um, pick us a state, WA or Victoria. Victoria. If you had to live in one continent other than Australia, it would be? America. That's on the continent. Is it? North America. North America, yeah. Uh, which is the second best club song in the AFL? I don't even know enough of them. Um, I like Brisbane's. Toughest forward to play on? Josh Kennedy. Would you rather sing on stage with the Killers or go on a season of Survivor? We know you love Survivor. I'd go on Survivor for sure. I'd, I'd, I'd borderline give away my premiership medallion to go oh, nah that's a lie I definitely <laughs> wouldn't do that but I love Survivor Survivor's epic I think they might be uh, after hearing that they might maybe for a celebrity version they might <laughs> be getting you on would you do the jungle with the channel 10 stuff I don't think so it's I, a little bit more sort of like lacking in challenge hey it's just yeah. sit around and t- sort of talk yeah yeah I think yeah. that's that's right probably the best way to put it and it's not like I want to survive like I want to make fire and I want to do all those kind of things those kind of just like sit around and chew the fat yeah and I reckon people would get sick of me too <laughs> would you get Dusty's tats if it meant you got his contract can I get him lasered off yeah nah I don't reckon <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm a clean skin yeah uh, what is it that makes Mrs. Harbour happy <laughs> I'm gonna pass on that one who knows <laughs> who has the worst temper at the club I reckon everyone would say me because I, but I do it as a joke, but I do crack it a lot. Um, Nick Vlosten, he's a bit of an angry ant. Mm. Um, yeah, so him or me. Uh, who would you rather play with? KB, Damien Harwick or Brendan Gale? See, it's, this one's hard because I didn't follow Richmond when I was growing mm. up, so I didn't know how good KB was. And I, like, Brendan Gale's a cracking fellow, and I reckon he would have been good fun around the change room, so probably Benny. Uh, tomato sauce or barbecue sauce? Barbecue. Fridge or pantry? Fridge. Alex, you've been very generous with your time and very forthcoming. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. No problems. Thank you. <laughs> well, that was Alex Rance, a fantastic chat with the Richmond Premiership defender. Well, he's had a fair 12 months and you hard to see them exactly going backwards in 2018 too. Lots of exciting times ahead for the Richmond Footy Club and for Alex Rance. A big thank you to him for his time. Very generous with his time. If you enjoyed this conversation, do us a favour. Subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. Tell your mates. Get on Wooshka. Have a listen to us there too. It's another source of us. Also, all these episodes on YouTube if you want to have a look. Uh, some fantastic episodes uh, recently shot in MJ Bale. Locations around Australia. Also, 24 the app, the website, well worth a look. If you're enjoying these conversations, you'll probably enjoy the content. There's some fun stuff there. There's some behind the scenes stuff there. There's athletes opening up like you rarely see in sort of mainstream media channels. It's worth a look, 24.com.au, or of course, download the app, 24. But for now, that's it from the Stack Report.